0: is back this week with special guest Kelsey Kolzer. Kelsey is a former top overall pick in the NWHL who's now turned her sights to coaching and at age 25 is the first black head coach in NCAA ice hockey history. She shares how her love of hockey was born, the importance of introducing people of all backgrounds to the sport and developing a thick skin at an early age.
1: From the start, I heard it from the opponents sometimes from my own teammates from opposing parents that girls don't belong in hockey that i think really helped to prepare me for what i was going to face later on when the focus switched to oh okay whatever you're a girl in hockey that's a little bit more normal now but you're a black person in hockey
0: Kelsey also helps us get a read on things the NHL's doing great for inclusivity, but also thoughts on how to improve diversity training from the grassroots youth hockey level. Creating more
1: opportunities for well-educated coaches, training coaches on how to facilitate these tougher conversations, how to react when something inappropriate is happening on their team, how to really create an accepting and inviting environment.
0: Later, Alyssa and I talk VGK, giving you the Lake Tahoe lowdown, explain why the night's last meeting with Minnesota was the definition of wild, and what would happen if we all acted like hockey players at work. Imagine if someone disagrees with you in a meeting
2: and you just start punching your chest and cursing them out and like punching people. Like imagine sports reactions in the workplace. All that and
0: more as we welcome you in to Game Miss Condom. And we're back again this week for Game Misconduct. This episode is brought to you by the Arsenal. And I mean, Alyssa, I know you and I, unfortunately, so sad, can't physically go into the Arsenal right now to get all our VGK gear, but we can have our needs met at vegasteamstore.com. So there is an option for anybody in your life, online or in person. And how are you doing today, Alyssa? I am doing great. How are you, Miss Stormy, Tony? Good. (laughs) I am living on a cloud today. I don't know why I'm so happy, but I am feeling good. I think the team is doing good, which in turn makes our jobs a little bit easier and a little bit better, which <laughs> makes our general lives a little bit easier and a little which bit better. Which makes our content a lot better. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a lot more fun to post sellies and, you know, good times in Lake Tahoe and all of those different kinds of things, which we will talk a little bit about later on in the episode, but. First and foremost, we are wrapping up Black History Month, the month of February, and it's been really cool to see all the different things that the league has done this month, whether it was in regards to Willie O'Ree, the the first Black player in the NHL, and kind of celebrating his impact and what he's meant, and just different cultural and diversity. um, What's the word I'm looking for? Initiatives? Initiatives. There There, there you go. There it is. (laughs) That's why I keep you around. All, all, All those great things. And with that it kind of just worked out no better timing to chat with Kelsey Kohlzer who we had been targeting as a guest on the show from the beginning because of just how incredible an influence she is for women and people of color in the sport that she had availability this month. Yes, Kelsey
2: is, first of all, while we go through her resume, keep in mind she's only 25 years old. So while I run through this, just keep that in mind because it's mind-blowing that she is so young and accomplished so much already. But she was a four-year player at Princeton where she was not only an All-American hockey player, but also an all-academic student. And then she went on to become the first overall pick in the 2016 NWHL Draft where she won the Isabelle. Cup with the Riveters and she is now transitioning from her playing career to her coaching career. And she recently was named head coach of women's hockey at Arcadia University, which made her the first ever black head coach in NCAA hockey history, which is incredible. She is a trailblazer for black athletes. And that was part of the reason we wanted to talk to her this month. And also to mention, we can go on for days with everything she's done. She's also a member of the NHL and NHLPA Female Hockey Advisory Committee. So she is very passionate about progression of Black athletes in the sport of hockey, but also female athletes in the sport of hockey. So there is no better person to have on
0: the game Misconduct podcast during Black History Month than Kelsey Colzer. And she's brilliant. She's just so intelligent. I mean, to be all academic at Princeton and to to, to grad. while also playing a varsity sport and being really good at it <laughs> yeah really good I mean first overall draft pick I mean all of these incredible things that she's been able to accomplish and like you said at, at such a young age which is actually where we kind of pick up our conversation with Kelsey is essentially just how does she do it so let's take a listen Well, Kelsey, uh, we just ran through your resume and background and it's, it's really, really incredible to think that somehow, some way you're only 25 years old and you've accomplished so much. Like, do you sleep? Do you breathe? How do you handle life?
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, um, it's, I mean, it's just every day for me. Um, and so, you know, I, I try to find time every day to, you know, make time for myself, but you know always remember to to keep pushing and and take advantage of the platforms that i have and so i'm definitely excited to be here today and get the chance to talk to you guys and shed a little more light on on women's hockey and black history month and my experiences within hockey
2: we so appreciate you taking the time to join us, Kelsey, and you've recently made the jump from being a player to coaching. So what was that transition like for you? And did you always know that you wanted to go into coaching or was it something that came as a more natural step when the opportunity presented itself? Or just talk us through how you made that choice. Uh,
1: I think it was a combo of both. In in college, I, weirdly enough, I mean, I didn't really start thinking about, what I wanted to do as a profession until a little too late, honestly, until (laughs) close to the end of senior year. And coaching was definitely something that was, was on my list. Um, I think knowing that I never really have any plans to step away from the game. I knew eventually somehow, some way I would be stepping away from playing. And, and what did I need to do at that point to, really, I mean, just stay in hockey. Um, and so there were a lot of opportunities right out of college for me to be coaching youth full time. Uh, it, you know, unfortunately it, it, didn't work out. Um, sadly enough, I mean, you know, f- coaches for, for female youth hockey programs, it, you know, I, I mean, when I was graduating, it wasn't really a livable wage. And so it wasn't something that was in the books at the time, but, I knew that ultimately my end goal would be college hockey. And so when, when I graduated, you know, I went into the, the corporate workforce and uh, about a year and a half into that position, I, I started to just really get that pull to really be hockey 100% of the time. And so when the opportunity at Arcadia came about, it was like you said, kind of that natural transition um, that just came about due to circumstance. And so I think that that's something that was really special about this role is the how close it is to home and, you know, how much I'm able to give back to the community that basically gave me my whole hockey career.
2: And obviously this year is probably not exactly what you expected because of COVID circumstances. So how has the past year been for you? It's been, what, about a year and a half since you uh, got the position, correct? So how, is the, so how has that been?
1: <laughs> it's been... I am extremely fortunate to have had a year and a half. Um, that's something that Arcadia University specifically does really well. Um, we've had a couple of programs that start that have started up in uh, the past six years here at Arcadia. Uh, you look at the men's volleyball, women's volleyball. We just started a track and field program. And something that Arcadia really values is giving coaches plenty of time to, you know, start things correctly as opposed to having to rush. And so having that extra year, having all of last year to be on the road nonstop recruiting, seeing as many kids as possible was ultimately a lifesaver when you now look at the events that have transpired in the last year. And I will say that, you know, things could be very different if I hadn't had that time. But at the same time, while it stinks that, you know, we're not in person at games necessarily all the time, there's still, I mean, right, the technology of live streams is incredible. Um, you can live stream games. Uh, Arcadia is still open. Um, so I've been doing tours with potential recruits since uh, July of last year. So it has been, it's been an adjustment, obviously, but I will say it hasn't, you know, it really hasn't been that big of an issue, um, you know, in, in the long, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, I guess.
0: Plus, before we actually jumped on this official beginning of the Zoom call, we met your dog Franny and we've seen her kind of like going back and forth across your shoulders in the background. And I feel like that's probably a very helpful virtual recruiting tool as well. <laughs> Just having Franny around.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's I, it's it's so funny because a lot of times, you know, she'll, she'll pop her head up or, um, you know, bark or something. And right at the perfect time in conversations where, you know, you, you want to just take a breather because things can sometimes get heavy on Zoom calls. And you're just like constantly. <laughs> and it's always nice just to have her there, to kind of distract and be that that little break and little talking point that people can kind of like gush over her.
0: No, I love it. Um, But just in terms of your coaching career, I feel like there's typically a status quo type of a path that coaches usually will go on. You're a a GA or an assistant for however many years and then you take over a program because somebody was either fired or a mentor um, just decides to retire and yada, yada, yada. But your first real coaching gig aside from youth hockey is you beginning a program, what has that experience been like building something of your own and making kind of your mark and putting your philosophy on a team and that type of a thing?
1: I I I think it's been incredible um, having the chance to Right, I am newer um, within, you know, the coaching, the, the coaching world, but having the chance to just have a clean slate, I think is so much better than necessarily having to take over something that already exists and already has these preset notions of what's meant to be. Um, And that's something that I think really helps, especially when you have somebody like myself who, you know, I have fresh ideas. I have new viewpoints. I have the experience that I've lived with, you know, plenty of different coaches. And I can really go into this with fresh eyes and, you know, with a whole set of fresh eyes on me um, that can really set the standard for what we're going to put forth for years coming. So I really like the challenge and I think it just opens up so much more opportunity to you know really start well and, and, and make make this program what we want it to be, the folks that are, you know, really making history and starting this this with me.
2: And Kelsey, to transition a little bit, you are a prominent black female in the sport of hockey that is traditionally dominated by white males. So you are a unique, incredible figure for a lot of younger girls and especially younger black girls. So at what point in your career did you realize that, hey, I could be a Roma, Model for these girls, and I can show them that this path does exist. And I'm curious, at what age did you really start to realize the, the res- maybe responsibility or the opportunity that you had to be a figure for younger girls to look up to?
1: It didn't dawn on me, honestly, until college. Um, I think in high school, I was just me. And my main focus was getting to college hockey. That's what I put all of my attention, all my effort towards. And so I didn't even have time to think about the fact that you know there wasn't a single other girl that I think I played against my entire junior year that was black. And so it was it was something that you know I really I think it was good timing that that I didn't have to you know kind of realize that responsibility until I was in college and I and I had a better head on my shoulders to Take advantage of the platforms that I was given. Um, And so I think that's where things really took off for me, Um, getting the chance to, you know, learn and grow and speak to as many people as possible. Um, That was something that I think really took off in college and then was able to just kind of continue to exponentially grow. And I would say then you know, obviously having the chance to play professionally helped to kind of boost that platform. And now you kind of add coaching on top of that. And I think it's opened up even a whole new kind of world that, you know, I can speak on and, and, you know, I can hopefully make sure that I'm not the last in my position.
0: Yeah, you're the first, but there has to be a first for a first of many really appreciate that perspective. And I'm sure it was nice to have that realization later, as you said, because no doubt there were instances along the way that weren't all sunshine and rainbows. So just wondering if you can speak on some of those moments where you've had to develop a thick skin in your life and your career. Yeah, it
1: started, obviously, it started at a very young age. Um, I grew up in the Philadelphia area and at the time, Uh, hockey was not necessarily a major sport. Um, It was definitely not a major sport for women. And so, you know, growing up I had to just because it was the only thing available. I played in co-ed leagues. I played on all boys teams um, for the first 10 years, basically of, of playing hockey for me. And so from the start, I heard it from, the opponents sometimes from my own teammates from opposing parents that girls don't belong in hockey. And, you know, I shouldn't be out there with their little Johnny and and all of these different things that I think really helped to prepare me for what I was going to face later on when the focus switched to, Oh, okay, whatever. You're a girl in hockey. That's a little bit more normal now, but you're a black person in hockey. And so having that, really off the bat, I think it it forces you to grow up and and like you said, thicken your skin at a young age or else, you know, unfortunately you probably weren't going to make it. And so while that has definitely changed a bit now where, where it is more acceptable for girls to be playing hockey. And I think that that's incredible. It's still, I mean, there's, they're still going to hear it from those outside of the hockey community. And so it it is, it's incredible to, to see how early girls have to kind of grow up and, and be advocates for themselves within the sport of hockey. I think that's what makes them, you know, so, so tough and, and so cool. Um, but there were obviously plenty of instances later in life where I was discriminated against for the color of my skin. But I had already had that kind of groundwork laid from an early age of, you know, my mental toughness to tell myself, you know, who cares what what people are saying that that has no effect on how I see myself and how I play the game and my love for the game. And it's it's just going to continue. So I think it is it's obviously from a very young age, you, you face those obstacles. Um, but obviously, every single obstacle that you overcome makes the next one seem even smaller and smaller.
0: Well, that makes sense to me, at least why when you went to Princeton and stayed closer to home and now at Arcadia, wanting to grow the sport in your area that you're, that you came from, where did your love from the sport really come from that you were so willing to deal with these obstacles and you want to continue on that path?
1: It's mostly kind of your typical, you know, family story. So um, am growing up, I was raised, I am, I'm a, an only child. And so I'm very close with, you know, my family. My uncle played hockey in, in high school and then transitioned to coaching. And, and both of my older cousins, who I really looked to as older brothers, they played hockey as well. And so, you know, I was constantly around the rink. Um, you know, we were a very tight-knit family that, you know, I my my mom would just go to support them. And then thus I was there as well. My mom also worked at she ran the snack bar at at the you know what was our main rink um in in stir PA and so we'd go with her on saturday nights when there was rec skate and she was working and so i was just constantly there and it was it was just a natural progression for me to you know get on the ice and then from there i mean it was there was never, I, I never teetered um, in terms of my love for hockey. It's been there from the beginning. It's been my number one sport since I was three years old. So uh, it was just a matter of, you know, kind of trapping the skates on for the first time.
2: I feel like we all have that story of being just dragged to rinks as a little kid and just realizing like, this is awesome. <laughs> look at these, look at these older kids skating and just body checking each other and every almost everyone we talk to is just has that that moment where they remember like, yeah, this is what I want to do.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's hockey, right? It's such a it's such an electric sport that if you are just around that in that environment at a young age, I feel like it changes your mindset right away where you're like, I, I like I need to be in that. I need to be doing that. I need to be flying that fast. I need to be hitting people like that. Yeah. <laughs> such An exciting sport that it's so I mean, If you watch it, it's hard not to kind of like catch the bugs, so to speak.
2: Absolutely. And so in the past, maybe... 8 to 12 months we've really seen a shift in the dialogue around a lot of sports and in particular hockey and you've seen the the launch of the hockey diversity alliance and you know know you're a member of the NHL and an HLPA female hockey advisory committee and i wanted to give you the opportunity to share with us what changes do you think need to be made in the sport for it to be a more inclusive place for everyone. And do you feel like what the league is doing now and what the players are doing and bringing conversations to light are steps in the right direction to make the sport more inclusive for everybody and particularly people of color?
1: Yeah. To, to start with the second half of, of, your question, I think, yes, obviously conversation helps, um, any way that you can educate your neighbor, educate the person sitting next to you in the locker room, uh, educate the fan that, that you know, is that lives down the street. That's something that is is really important. We've been at the point of conversation for what feels like a really long time though. So, you know, ideally, we'd like to see some more action put into place. Um, and, and there's things that can be done at, at every single level, whether it's the NHL, whether it's youth hockey, if it's really at that grassroots um, to one, grow our sport, but to make it more inclusive for, for everybody. You look at programs that, that the NHL are doing with the, you know, learn to play, try hockey for free, those kinds of things. Those I think are really incredible programs that can help make the sport more accessible for everyone, right? Obviously, hockey is one of the most expensive sports. I mean, it's definitely the most expensive of the, you know, four major sports. When you look, you can't just grab a pair of shoes and a $5 ball from the store and go practice. It's, it's not hockey. It requires so much. And that is such a hurdle for people to even start in the sport or be able to continue within the sport. And so having those opportunities where folks can get equipment for free and, you know, have people that are running clinics so that they can just get an introduction and catch that bug that I returned, that I referred to earlier is something that is really important for the longevity of our sport and, and continuing to grow the game of hockey. And I think specifically help grow the game of hockey within more diverse populations who don't have access to it, are afraid to kind of take that jump because they're worried about the time commitment or The the financial responsibility that comes along with it. And um, and so I think that that's something that is is really awesome that the NHL is doing. And you'd like to see a lot more effort and 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 just a lot more programs, you know, hopefully broaden the the, I guess the reach of those programs, um, even outside of, say, you know, NHL hub cities. You know, you, you look at what Ed Schneider Youth Hockey has going on here in Philadelphia. That's an incredible program that really helps to diversify the sport through, you know, connections with inner city. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of areas could benefit from having a program like that, that really incorporates the the academics with the athletics. It keeps people busy. And that a lot of times can really help change someone's life. I think a lot can be said for, Creating more opportunities for well educated coaches, training coaches on how to facilitate these tougher conversations, how to react when something inappropriate is happening on their team, how to really create an accepting and inviting environment. Um, I think training for coaches is is really important because there is just oftentimes a lack, a, a complete void within you know, within training for people that are with kids nonstop, right? You're, I mean, you spend as much time at hockey sometimes, depending on what level you're playing as you do at school. And so it is a huge commitment and it's something that I think could use a bit more, uh, attention. Um, and then obviously, you know, at the NHL level, I think, Educating fans, educating, um, you know, educating coaches. It's, It's the same. It's the same aspect, just, you know, that much more important because you think of all of the kids that are looking up to these NHL players and coaches and, you know, they're going to be ultimately the future of our sport.
2: Yeah two things you just said really stuck out to me is the the tough conversations and learning how to have those and the education that's been just speaking for myself it's been something that i've realized the last year is that growth and change really happens when you're uncomfortable and a lot of times you have to have those conversations that make you uncomfortable and that might there's i think there's a fear of being ignorant. And that's where there's a lot of lack of growth because people are afraid to ask the questions that might make them seem like they don't understand. But the fact of the matter is uh, white people don't understand a lot of the struggles that black people are going through. So that's something that, that you just said that really resonated with me is we need to have those tough conversations and we need to af- ask those tough questions and get out of our comfort zone because that's where change really does happen.
1: Yeah, it's it's something and it's unfortunate the events that transpired that that led to all these conversations and, you know, what it took to start these conversations. But I think it's incredible. You you see the power that sports and especially professional sports has. I mean, it started with the NBA strike early last year and like middle last year when they were in the bubble and just ripple effect that that, that had across the country, um, especially, you know, within other sports. It's it is it's a very powerful tool. Um, we just need to, I think, utilize it to its fullest.
0: Well, Kelsey, something that we like to ask is kind of a recurring question to all of our guests is their rookie reminder. So if you could go back and I, mean, I know you're only 25, so, but if you could go back to when you were a little bit younger and tell yourself anything, what would you want to tell yourself? What would your rookie reminder be?
1: I would say, you know, really to stay present. Um, it's something that I've struggled with throughout my career, especially. Um, as I got older with college, thinking ahead to what's to come in the future and not necessarily being able to really enjoy what was happening in the moment. And so that's something that, you know, as I get older and it gets even harder as you get older and you have so much more responsibilities and um, there's a lot more on your plate. But, you know, being able to just remind myself to stay present and, you know, there's there's been a couple of really great, great, great quotes you know, that, that have, have, stuck out to me, but just realizing that like today matters most and you have to stay present. That's something that I think is, is really important for all athletes to, to remember, because, you know, you're going to have those tough games. You're going to have bad days, you know, practice sucked. You couldn't, you could barely stick handle ultimately, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you stay present within that and not think ahead to, you know, the consequences that might come or, you know, what's coming up tomorrow, then you're really going to be able to make the most of, of the day.
0: Well, I hope something that you can at least take solace in and enjoy is that every time you have a conversation with someone and they're like, Oh yeah, I went to so-and-so for school you'd be like, yeah, well I was, you know, all academic at Princeton. So <laughs> <laughs> It's,
1: it's, it's like whenever I still sometimes am like, you know, I still sometimes think back and, and I'm like, oh, wow, I really like I really did that. It's, yeah,
2: you did. <laughs> is,
1: again, it takes me like really reminding myself what I'm what I'm able to accomplish and, and you know, not to, you know, not to kind of doubt myself. Um, so it's, it's always a helpful reminder when I'm like, yeah, that's right. I graduated from the number one school in the country and I didn't academically. You know, I didn't just yes. like squeak by. <laughs> um and that's something that that definitely helps if i'm if i'm having a tough day i'm like you got this you yeah. <laughs> Princeton, you
0: can do this. (laughs) That's something though I, I was just a little bit curious about um like advice for athletes and I mean obviously now being in a coaching position and and having other women that you can kind of help with that work life balance, so to speak, that school athlete balance. But at a place like Princeton, I imagine that must have been so challenging and especially in a place that academically is so competitive as well. Um, not just the competitiveness you have as an athlete. But is that something that you kind of get excited about being able to help other young people with as they come up in athletics?
1: Yeah, it's it's something that is so important. And and as a female, it is something that you realize at a very young age, to be honest, because you recognize I mean, it's there's no doubt that women's professional hockey is it's not going to be. Unfortunately, right now, it's it's unless you have another means of income, it's not going to be your career you might be able to squeak by for a bit but eventually you know you're going to have to turn to what's next and that's something that's so important and something that I really stress to all the girls that I'm recruiting now and and it's it's a value that really made my decision to take the job at Arcadia so easy because they're an institution that really prepares you for what's next because uh, you know ultimately after your body can't take the sport anymore you know like what are you going to do what do you have you know what skills do you have what are you confident in that, that you can do next um, and that's something that is definitely exciting as a coach to be able to reinforce that and and help prepare people for for what's next
2: well kelsey thank you so much for taking time out of your what i'm sure is a very busy schedule and you are a fantastic role model in the hockey world and please keep using your voice and your platform that you have because your, your stories and the way you share your thoughts are just uh, tremendous. So we appreciate you taking some time to share it with our audience and wish you the best of luck in your upcoming season. Well, whenever that is, fingers crossed that it's it's coming soon, but.
1: (laughs) Fingers crossed that it's, it's October one without.
2: Thank you to Kelsey for joining us. She had tremendous insight into her path from playing to coaching and the path that she's taken as a black female athlete in the sport of hockey. And Stormy, one of the things she talked about with us, and I've also seen her talk about in a lot of interviews, is the importance of introducing hockey in diverse communities at a very young age. And that's something that Ryan Reeves is actually really passionate about too, having recently
0: announced a ball hockey rink In Las Vegas. Props to Ryan. He is one of the toughest guys in the NHL, no question. And he has such a soft spot for community and this Las Vegas area and youth sports and kids. And it's it's really cool to see that he has he can be in his element in so many different ways. But this ball hockey rink that is his vision in Southern Nevada is for the James Boys and Girls Club. And it's, you know, an area where underserved youth can be exposed to the sport of hockey. regardless of your race, background, financial situation, anything. Um, and it, he's talked so much about just how important he feels that is to expose kids to the sport of hockey because it is an expensive sport. You know, it's not something that everybody can just be able to purchase all of this equipment and get up and play and ball hockey to kind of give kids the itch for the sport and get a feel for what it's like and show their parents maybe that it's something that they really enjoy and would like to learn more about and take a step forward. Or, or even if it's just a safe space for kids that are in kind of that underserved type of an area to, be able to hang out with friends and to be able to learn a sport and be involved in a team where um, you're learning all of those different kind of intangible parts of being a good person and being a good teammate and like all those things. And I just think that that's really cool that that's important to Ryan and that's something that we're going to have in our community really soon. He even just said the other day that they're hoping there's no firm timetable on this, but they're really hoping to have it um, coming together this summer, which would be incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. And it goes back to what Kelsey
2: said. And it's easy to have conversations about what needs to change. And it's a lot harder to take the action and make the changes. So you really love to see people who are in positions to empower others using that platform and making those changes and they're really the, the people to, to spark the change that we want to see. So it's, it was great to talk to her and uh, great to see what Ryan's doing in the community.
0: It's funny you say that, too, because something that I know the Golden Knights really like to do and the league really likes to do is that community outreach in general as much as possible. And for the outdoor game this year, that was kind of an element that was missing a little bit that they didn't get to do as much as they had liked to. But I mean, they were still able to do so much. And this is our first time getting to talk to listeners since we did have that lengthy Lake Tahoe (laughs) trip and an experience that was just unlike any other. It was so cool. And it was the longest game I've ever experienced. I
2: don't know if you've ever had a nine hour hockey game in your under your belt. Um, I have not. But it was uh, it was such a cool experience. And I don't think it looked so beautiful in photos and on TV. But I still don't think it did it justice to what it looked like in person. That was just the most stunning thing that I've never been to Lake Tahoe before. So i I just felt myself having to snap out of it and be like, okay, like watch the rink, stop just looking in the mountains, like keep keep an eye on the
0: hockey. <laughs> Imagine being a goalie, right? <laughs> but it was, it was really, really cool. And just speaking to the, that lengthy delay, I have been in numerous rain delays for baseball tournaments or, um, you know, snow delays for other sports, whatever the issues may be. Never in my wildest dreams have I ever imagined a sunshine delay. <laughs> <laughs> Just that like, dang sun but <laughs> legitimately it was a perfect day uh like in any other situation you would be like oh my gosh like the scenics it's so beautiful it's so nice out all you need is a light jacket doesn't work so well, well for and Isochi. it was funny because
2: before the game started and <laughs> Right after the delay, we were sitting there waiting to hear the length of the delay and see if we would keep playing or whatnot. And we all took off all of our layers because it was so hot so we were sitting there in our jeans and we had all of our coats off we had our, our gloves off our hat off because it was so nice out and we're like this is probably not a good good sign for what's to come and then we come back fast forward to when the game resumed that evening and we are frigid <laughs> frigid oh my it was gosh. night and day I mean literally was- night and day but also night and day in terms of the weather
0: It was so cold. And I, I'm a baby. I grew up in Las Vegas. I lived in San Diego for the most of my adult life beyond living here. And when we're out there, like I am legitimately like putting my hands in every leg pocket, (laughs) putting like underneath my armpits, whatever I can do just to keep my hands warm, even though they were in gloves, like my gloves were doing nothing. I felt like it was
2: It was really funny, guys,
0: because when we got there, I being from Michigan, I do miss
2: the weather, just the you know, I I love the Vegas weather, but sometimes you kind of miss just seeing the changes. And I ran into the snow and started hopping around. And I look at Stormy and our coworker, Katie, and I'm like, don't you guys just miss the snow? And I start making snowballs and like jumping around in it. And Stormy literally goes, no, I have never missed the cold in my life, like never want cold. (laughs)
0: It was, and I, I just remember giving like this blank death stare too. Just no, just, nope, I, nope, I've never it. wanted yes, this. But
2: I, so I made a lot of snowballs. Um, I did not hit many people with them because hand-eye coordination is not one of my strong suits. But if I took some more tips from Marc-Andre Fleury...
0: Oh, that was so great. I asked Marc-Andre what um, was the perfect strategy to a snowball. And I'm pretty sure it was like to pack it tight to make it a hard snowball and then to high. hide so nobody yep. knows that it's you. And then, yeah, <laughs> get it high so you have enough time to run away. So
2: tight yep. and that, hide. That's Marc-Andre Fleury. So good at snowballs. Uh,
0: he's, I guess he's good at hockey. He's decent. Yeah, I'll give I him mean, that. He's not bad. Per se. Super, (laughs) super cool for Marc Andre. um, As we kind of transition from that Colorado series, he has now in his career with the Vegas Golden Knights eclipsed the century mark uh, (laughs) over that 100-win mark as a Vegas Golden Knight. And to do so in such a short amount of time is is really, really incredible.
2: And I love that he was asked post-game, a reporter asked him, if I would have told you four years ago when you were selected in the in the expansion draft that you would reach a hundred wins during your fourth season here, what would your reaction be? And Mark said, I think I would have been pretty skeptical.
0: <laughs> and <that laughs> touched, Wasn't it Petro with him
2: too? And he was like yep. modest. Yep. Right. <laughs> and that it's, it's an honest answer, but that's uh it's been, it's been a ride watching him through those hundred wins and you just love to see how much he has fun with it too. One of the hardest workers out there, but he's always just having the most fun. And we we talk about him probably every podcast, but we can't say it enough that he's playing such good hockey right now and he has to be in the Vesna conversation, right?
0: So, this is such a crazy thing to me that he has not only never won a Vesna Trophy, but he's never even been a finalist. He's finished 4th, 5th, 7th, and 8th in the voting, but never in the top three. Baloney! And... (laughs) It's it's absolutely insane. And based on his numbers and where he's at with his save percentage, goals against average, tops in the league, across the board in a lot of these different categories, and he has been, that he's certainly the leader in the clubhouse in that conversation right now. And I'm so hopeful for him that... That he remains in that conversation, that he continues the steady pace that he's had. Obviously, you know, selfishly for the team, but for him, I mean, what a feather in the cap that would be. And that's a crazy
2: little trivia thing you should pull out of your cap one day. You know how many how many Vesnas has marc Andre Fleury won? Because most people would guess a couple, two, three, but to never have been in the top of the voting—that's crazy. What a
0: f- not fun fact. does not say fun fact. But that's a not fun fact. <laughs> Well, I do have some fun facts okay. here for you, though, Let's about this, him. because Fleury is the 15th goalie in NHL history to now have won 100 games with two different franchises, and he is the second fastest goalie to be the first to reach 100 wins with a franchise. So, well, I mean, those are fun. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome, world. I come here for the, the nuggets and the fact nuggets and the chicken nuggets. That's a good little
2: tagline. You should say that. I got all the nuggets. Chicken what and fact is, based. <laughs> what is your favorite
0: fast food
2: nugget? Honestly, you can't beat a McDonald's chicken nugget.
0: Yes, you can, a Wendy's chicken nugget. See
2: mm. I can see why people think that but I have to disagree agree to disagree we're not talking tenders though right these are just nuggets no not
0: tenders. Okay. tenders, tenders a whole are a different, different variety okay. we're sticking to nuggets. okay anyway back to hockey <laughs> <laughs> anyways but hopefully um he's able to continue that streak as I said it's been really impressive to watch and I even just liked his reflection on that same answer that that you were talking about in the post game the other night when he did reach that milestone was that there were so many variables coming to to Las Vegas and not even knowing if people were going to come to games if people were going to like hockey but just the experience that he's had in Vegas is so meaningful to him and the way that he's been supported here from day one it's been a special place for him to have success and as he does look to continue that the team's got a couple games uh, against Minnesota coming up here and it made me think about the last time that we played Minnesota. And it was like, actually, it wasn't the last time we played Minnesota. It was the last time we almost played Minnesota. <laughs> the, because the game that was that right. Never was. Exactly. That was right when the shutdown was um, because of COVID-19 yeah. last March. And the team was in Minnesota ready to play. And
2: it was that morning that the league put a pause on the season. Exactly. And so that's kind of what I was going to ask because you weren't on that road trip, right? I wasn't. And I remember... COVID talk was kind of bubbling up like we knew it was on the horizon but no one really knew the extent of it and remember the NBA had just canceled the season but that had been one that I was scheduled to not be on and as you know sometimes when you get later in the season you get a road trip off it's kind of like okay like I'm gonna go out to dinner and see some friends that I don't get to see and it's kind of you know a little bit of a quote-unquote off weekend and then Quickly realized that was not happening. And then it didn't happen for about six months after.
0: (laughs) That's why I was curious because I was on that road trip and I I couldn't remember if you were on it or not. And I remember we were sitting at this table. It was myself and my AT&T Sportsnet videographer and a couple other people that were on the trip. And we were at dinner when we're all checking our phones because we found out Tom Hanks got COVID. We're all like, what, yes. Tom Hanks? Yeah, that was the no first way. big person, right?
2: <laughs> and everyone was like, the world cannot take Tom Hanks.
0: Tom Hanks has to make it. Yeah. Toy Story, yeah. big. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. to go away. <laughs> we're going through all of these things and like that's be- like, before we really know anything truly about COVID in the US and all of this stuff. And then within twenty minutes to an hour we're hearing about the NBA and Rudy Gobert and all this stuff and we're like, we're not. Yeah. There's no way we're gonna have a game tomorrow. If this is happening with the NBA and they're canceling we're not playing. And I still had to prepare, though, as if we were going to have a game. So, you know, we we finished our dinner and we and maybe hung out at the dinner and had a couple more glasses of wine than we normally would because there was the anticipation that we weren't going to play. But I still woke up the next morning at 630 and was all made up, getting ready, doing my pregame notes. Even though morning skate was canceled, I was like, you still never know if we're going to have the game. And then it wasn't. And then I was just made up in my room for no reason had to get on a bus back home. And then there wasn't (laughs) hockey for a long time. And now we're finally getting, finally, we get the chance to play Minnesota. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so happy that we finally do have that opportunity. But like, I just keep thinking back to that time when we're having press conferences with the players and they're answering questions about potentially playing in buildings without fans and like what do you think about social distancing and all those questions yeah. that has literally become our world now Yeah
2: and it's it's weird to think about when that was a new thing cuz it's such a part of our lives now and you know the the questions that were asked then would never be asked now. Nobody nowadays would say, so what do you think about wearing a mask or being six feet away? It's just part of what you have to do to stay safe. So it's really weird to think back to that time. And it it feels like a long time ago,
0: but it also doesn't. So crazy. That was the the last week I ever did normal dress room scrums. Yeah. And I wonder if that's something we're ever going to do again in our jobs. Um, <laughs> I Or hope so. if we do get to a point where we can't. I mean, I hope so, too. But we'll see. I, I, th- I have a feeling that you have a social media question I do. for us there. It's actually, are we going to get weird? We're going
2: to get weird. <laughs> and actually, this one is a perfect segue from our last topic. Ellie wanted to ask us, what are you most looking forward to doing post-COVID? And sometimes, as you know, I like to add a little asterisk to these questions. So let you can't just say like everybody wants to travel everybody wants to see That's their so my yes, answer though. everybody wants to see their family everybody wants to like you know, nobody really wants to wear a mask so I want something like very specific or random because everybody knows that we want to go on a vacation and go see our family and be open again but I like,
0: what is something specific that you didn't think you would miss but you do um well I mean honestly given our current situation I was I was actually just talking with my dad about this um because we are in the situation that we are in right now I just really want to go to a restaurant yes. like, <laughs> I would like to sit down at a restaurant, whether it's on a date night or preferably with a group of more than six people sitting at the same table. um, I, I just, I think that would be really nice to have kind of like an Italian style, family style meal out in public and it's crazy that that's something that we've taken for granted yes. for such a long time because we never in a million years would expect that we wouldn't have that at our fingertips yeah but that's what I really miss and also I, the traveling thing is real because last summer I really was planning on going to Italy and I've never been and of course you know my name is Bonantoni that's where <laughs> I've always wanted to go uh, we're, my, we're very Sicilian um, and so I didn't get to do that and so that's definitely Forever on my bucket list I'm going to make it happen as soon as I can Just (laughs) start planning it gets you through Mine's similar to yours I just want to
2: sit At a brewery And be served a cold beer And I You know we've all had our fair share of Beer over you know at home But it's not the same Like I want it served To me from a cold Tap and I want to drink It slowly with sports center on that I'm not really paying attention to and my phone in my purse and, you know, wearing something other than the same sweatpants I've worn for 35 days. So that's what I want. I want someone to serve me a cold beer while I look like a human being.
0: Yeah, I miss people's (laughs) faces. I will say like, and I know this isn't a show that we're going to try to dwell on the situation because I feel like we're all dealing with it the best that we can, but I really am, I've said this from the beginning. I'm a very social person and I'm a smiley person. And I I love that a smile is contagious. And so I think that's been something that's been a little bit tough is like smiling at somebody at the grocery store or even like in the building, smiling at somebody in hockey ops or whatever. And like not knowing. (laughs) Are you smiling back? Are you? Yeah. Yeah. Are you you ignoring me? What's happening? (laughs) So we have a
2: really fun e. Funny game misconduct this week. I was going to say fun.
0: It was fun to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yes, I'll agree with that. I don't know if any of you guys were able to catch the Blues-Sharks game over the weekend, but the, the tweets and immediate headlines were that their goalie, Jordan Bennington, Punches three people as he exits the game. It was more like a little shove, a fake punch, and an attempted glove slap at the Sharks <laughs> goaltender. Um, but but he had a rough start to the game. He gave up I, I want to say four goals in the first like 30 something minutes, and so it, it wasn't the best start for him. Um, and it wasn't the best ending either. But then his team ends up like getting a, a fire emotion out of it and win the game seven to six. But so my way of taking this though, and making it fun for our show. Is can you imagine getting mad at work and that's your reaction? I've thought about like how
2: weird sports are in that way because <laughs> if you're mad in sports especially hockey you just fight somebody and you can you scream and you cuss them out and you I mean just think of the the reactions you see on basketball courts and on football fields and people just scream and you go really primal so imagine if someone disagrees with you in a meeting and you just start punching your chest and cursing them out and like punching people like imagine sports reactions in the workplace it's actually really funny I think like it's amazing I think about this like probably more than is normal but it's kind of funny next time you're frustrated at work just think wow what if I just stood up and just started going Ryan Reeves on people right now and it's
0: it helps you get a laugh (laughs) we need to Have Ryan do like a video like that. One of those sports center commercials and just have him come in and somebody says something in a meeting he doesn't agree with at the conference table and he just gets up and drops all of his stuff. (laughs) It would be amusing for a while
2: until that person got fired probably after like four hours. But, but
0: like, okay, what about your your job specifically from a social media standpoint? Because in Jordan Bennington's situation, he's not upset with what anybody else is doing. He's upset with himself, yeah. essentially, is the core issue here. And so you're mad at yourself and I punch you. Um, Doing Instagram videos. You don't think that you did a good job at your Instagram videos. Your boss is calling you, telling you that, hey, we're not going to have you do this anymore. Stormy's coming in. She's going to cover the rest of the content tonight. And you're exiting the rink and you're just going up to a security guard or something and like (laughs) trying to punch him. (laughs) What a weird. I can't even picture that because it's so comical. Stomping around in your heels and slacks. (laughs) It's
2: amazing. I don't think anyone would take me seriously. Like my punches would be caught midair. They'd be like, "Okay, Alyssa, exit."
0: I feel like you could hold your own in a verbal fight. <laughs> like you would kick some kick some serious butt in a kick, verbal kick fight. V- but how verbal butt? Proverbial. How are the fists?
2: I've never punched anyone.
0: Me neither. Jokingly,
2: like or you know, as a kid, like the brother sister weird like wrestling that you do when you're like five years old and mad because someone stole your toy but i've never
0: punched someone so i don't know maybe next time i'm mad at work or just punch you and you can let me know how it goes i have like weirdly skinny (laughs) fingers they're very frail it would hurt me more than it would hurt the person i was trying to hurt cut out the part where i said i'm gonna punch you (laughs) (laughs) at (laughs) work I'm not getting that out. I'm leaving that in for our listeners to know the amount of disrespect I get on a daily basis. This was a fun show, Alyssa. This
2: was a fun show. It's always a pleasure getting to put our phones aside or in front of our faces and sit down one-on-one and uh, chat for the people. So thank you all for listening to another episode. And thank you, Kelsey, for being a rock star. And joining yeah, us, yeah. And for
0: for those of you that didn't understand Alyssa's phone to the side reference, it's because <laughs> the way that we record this podcast is we have these little microphones that are plugged into our phones yes. that we recorded on. Um, <laughs> that was just such a weird thing. It was to say weird. Sorry, <laughs> but yes, I agree. This was fun, and a huge thank you to Kelsey Colzer. Such great insight. She's just so intelligent and put together, and kind of checks all the boxes of what we are looking for on game misconduct and so so lucky to have her on we hope that you tune in again next episode make sure that you are listening rating subscribing everything that you do to podcasts please do to ours it helps people find us and it helps our bosses like us more so we'll see you next time on game misconduct